In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Buddy, there you have it, a fine back-to-school tradition. No better back-to-school song has ever been written, performed, or recorded than Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. My hope for all of our listeners, and I'm sure your hope as well, is that they will have a teacher who is somewhat hot. I never really did myself. My high school chemistry teacher was kind of a smoke show, but that's it for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, great song, great even greater video. Um, the 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 great Van Halen. I, I had a teacher in high school, Mr. Usher, and mm. he was. Um, I'll tell you what, he was something. Else. Hot doesn't describe him, but I do believe that that song could be used to apply to him in some respects. I mean, he he must be dead now. I mean, he would be like 160 if he were alive. Hmm. Well, stranger things have happened. Good guy, hot for teacher. But look, we're back at school now. You've got kids in school. I've got kids in school. We're going, you know, dropping them off, making sack lunches. But uh, once again, you've got David Pridham and Brad Sheaf here. We're back. We mean business. We're hot for teacher. And we're rolling into the fall like a couple of whirling dervishes. I like that. I like the fall. I'm a, I'm a kind of a fall guy. Yeah, and we've got the I'm football. not really a fall guy, I hope. But, I, you know, I'm an autumn. I'm an autumnal fan. Don't forget to catch our show each week. You can uh, find us on Salem Podcast Network, on I, iTunes, iPodcast. We start every week with what we call the business report. These are the two big news items of the week that small business owners, people like you and I, uh, have to be ready for. These are things they have to bone up on. And the way we recommend you do it is to take out a piece of paper or your phone. You can go to the notes uh app on your phone and literally start writing down everything we say. And then what you do is you take that, you take that wherever you go. And then as you're engaging in conversations, regardless of what they're about, uh, you just start parroting back what it is that we tell you to say. So for example, this week, obviously, we have this overarching issue of uh, what's going on in this country culturally, what's going on in this country uh, in terms of our big cities. And one of the things that when people, voters, are asked about what their major concerns are, they obviously flag the economy, number mm -hmm. one. That's always what people uh, seem, to be, seem to be focused on. Um, but then it comes down to the issues of guns and violent crime and education, especially in the inner cities. And so one of the things people are really concerned about is the spike in violent crime. If you look at it, uh, you know, robberies are up, I think, 13 percent. Aggravated assaults are up about 5 percent. And that's year on year after last year, which was a record breaking year. Um, and you're seeing record uh, crime waves going on in these big cities. And if you look at 
a lot of the big cities that have woke governments, right? Like uh, the ones I have on our list are Atlanta, New Orleans, Washington, D.C., Baltimore. Those are your old stomping grounds. Dallas, obviously the home of the uh, the big podcast, uh, Phoenix and Denver. They're seeing already more murders this year than they did all of last year. And so there is a, a sort of a, 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 a pandemic of violence going on in this country that is not really uh, ebbing at all. And when you go on the Twitter or when you go on the Instagram, you inevitably see some crazy brawl, whether it be at the uh, I think the Detroit Lions game, there was some crazy brawl that had like 100 people just beating on each other as they're going into the stadium with kids around, with elderly people around. And these people are just having a Royal Rumble type brawl in, 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 in line to get into the game. Uh, you see that at college football games. You see that at restaurants. I saw a video from my hometown in Providence, Rhode Island uh, over the weekend where in a, uh, a, 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 I believe, a Mexican restaurant there, people started fighting and it started spreading from table to table until you had about 30 people just wailing. Women, men, didn't matter, just wailing on each other, picking up chairs, hitting people with chairs, hitting people with tables, throwing bottles at people. And it seems like this is something that's happening over and over everywhere. I mean, I saw a video from New York City uh, where this car just aimed for a person in a wheelchair going across a crosswalk and hit him. Um, so there is a there is a sort of a, a, a moral problem in this country. And the question I think a lot of people are asking is, how do we solve it? Well, it's easy, buddy. It's a pandemic. You put on a mask. I, I mean, I, the, I, my strong belief is, is that putting on a mask to solve a pandemic of needless, senseless violence makes as much sense and will be as effective as putting on a mask to solve the COVID pandemic. It's just they seem to me to be of equal effectiveness in both types of pandemics. But, but I, I mean, it, it, again, we talk about this week over week, and I don't, I don't, I don't know why we can't seem to get our heads around what should be obvious, right? We we continue to pretend that facts are not facts, that truth is not truth. And then we collectively look around and just go, well, how, how did we get here? I mean, well, this is so crazy. Why, why are people acting this way? Well, because you're living in a fantasy world where police are not necessary, where authority is not necessary, where people can look at things and know in their heart that they are true. There are only two genders that human beings come in. That is a fact. Now you can dress up and pretend to be the opposite gender from the one that you were born and that is fine. Who is Billie Jean King? I'm sorry. Exactly. If you choose to do that, that's fine, right? I, I and I'm not being facetious. If, if that, if you are a dude and you want to dress up like a girl, and act like a girl, that, that you can do that with your life. And frankly, no one should be haranguing you because of it, right? And if you are a girl and you want to dress up like a dude and, and do the converse, that, that is also true, okay? But it does not make you a girl and it does not make you a dude. You are imprinted with your gender down to the very DNA and you cannot change it. Okay, but we are pretending that that's not true. And we are pretending that all police are bad and that the idea of policing ourselves is bad. And we're getting exactly 
what you would predictably expect to get when you do stuff like that. And, and, and what bothers me about it is not that it's happening. It, it has to happen. That, that is what our culture is driving itself towards. We're pretending all kinds of truths are lies. We're pretending all kinds of lies are truths. We're acting like, you know, there aren't mean, malicious, bad, evil people on the planet. There's just misunderstood people who need a hug. None of that stuff is true. And so where we have arrived is predictable. And so that doesn't surprise me and neither does it disappoint me. That's we voted for it. We're getting what we asked for. What bothers me is that people are looking around as though there's no explanation for it. That's what's really crazy. Yep. I know. I, I think that's right. And you, you see more and more. And, and even when the police show up at these um, at these riots, I mean, they're mass riots. Um, there, there's very little they can do. We have taught people um, that and, and people there is a narrative going on that the, the police are evil. I, I, I read that there is a uh, um, some crazy, you know, you have these crazy woke professors at these universities with multi-billion dollar endowments. And, you know, they, uh, they focus on the most idiotic things because they don't teach. Right. Um, and, and they're just trying to make, uh, you know, find some stupid woke niche that they can exist in for a little bit of a, a period of time. And they're, they're railing against the producers of the TV show law and order. And this woman, this professor um, uh, was railing about the fact that the show law and order glorifies police officers. And then there's really not a two way uh, depiction of police officers, supposedly because they're not depicting them as these awful, you know, Mark Furman type people who are bitter racists and who are uh, driving all of their decision making by their inherent racism. And obviously none of that's true, but this is the type of dialogue you have. And then when you have these riots, when you have these cities going to hell, I mean, no one in their right mind is going to step foot in San Francisco after dark or downtown LA after dark or uh, Portland or, or new parts of New York city are uninhabitable right now. But when you have this dialogue that again, much, much like the gender discussion is driven by subjective views of questions that until a couple of years ago were pretty objective in terms of the, the, the correct answer. Uh, that's when you get this, that's when you get this, this problem. And then you have these riots that go out of control and no one in their right mind is going to step in and stop them. And uh, the slippery slope is becoming slipperier and we continue to go down it. And if something doesn't change quickly, we're going to lose some of these cities and there's no coming back from it. Yeah. Well, and, and buddy, it just, I, I guess both the upside and the downside, perhaps the double-edged sword is that the solution to wokeism is wokeism, right? I mean, as we're seeing, it's unsustainable. Once you have stepped into that arena, once you start taking the position that there is no truth, there are no facts, you can have the world the way you want it to be. You can imagine yourself into a utopia and be completely unwilling to recognize that those decisions have ramifications, which are playing out in front of your very eyes. Then as you've pointed out, we will lose parts of the country, right? We will certainly for an extended period of time, there will be places where no one wants to go. And when that happens, you have all kinds of, you know, sort of snowball effect of real estate prices crashing, businesses leaving, you know, all the things that make a place not necessarily uninhabitable because there's no oxygen or water there, but just a place where no one wants to go and no one is willing to go. And then 
various portions of the society that you know one might characterize as undesirable will then just move in there because there will be you know no positive pressure pushing them back so that it will create a vacuum collect all that and then you're going to have to find somebody with the backbone and the wherewithal to step in and you know make changes kind of like giuliani did in his better days in new york and until that happens those places will just be gone and it is truly sad because places like san francisco like portland like seattle those are beautiful cities right i mean you and i have been in all of them they have much to recommend them but you cannot pretend that the truth is a lie and that lies are the truth and expect things to play out well and so here's where we are right but it but i again i guess the the silver lining to that very dark cloud is that wokeism is a self-correcting worldview you you can't pretend that the truth is a lie and sustain it you just can't yeah i mean the good news is i don't believe that portland is a lovely place i think portland's a dump and uh, i'm glad we don't have to go back i am that big even though we did have that great big omelet there remember the big omelet we had it was like 12 eggs i mean neither one of us came anywhere near to finishing that breakfast omelet Not, no it was near. a giant I, mean, I wish i had the name of that place because maybe we could bring them in as a sponsor next brad this is what we like to call the business minute this is a minute of just a flashpoint where we mm-hmm. go into a couple of things that business leaders need to know and one of the things people are grappling with and you and i've grappled with it personally is the trip back to the office right i know that apple uh, they built that big. Remember that big spaceship that Apple built out in the I middle do. of nowhere yeah. that hovers it cost over them the like, like a billion dollars, I think, to put that thing together. Yeah, and it flies, obviously. But uh, a lot of the employees didn't want to go back to work after the pandemic ended, even though some would say it's still going on. And so Apple gave them like a waiver. And a lot of companies are are dealing with this. We too have employees that don't want to go back to the office because they're concerned about their health. They're concerned about the COVID, the Omicron, the monkeypox the dengue fever and all that stuff. And so uh, this week we look at one company in particular, the New York times, your favorite, the old gray lady. Indeed. Your paper of record paper of uh, record. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well now Brad, the New York times is dealing with this as well. 1300 New York times employees have signed a document. I believe it is a binding treaty of sorts uh, that it's like uh, the Magna Carta only different. Yeah, and these employees are reacting to the New York Times uh, back-to-work policy that's requiring that its employees uh, start returning to the office at least three days a week starting this week. Well, these 1,300 New York Times employees have pledged not to do that, Brad. They are not returning to the office, which begs a couple of questions. One, I never imagined 1,300 – the the New York Times had 1,300 employees, first of all. Um, But second of all, is this good news in disguise? Well, yeah, because anything that would keep the New York Times from being able to print and publish the drivel that they have declined into over the years would be a good thing, right? I mean, perhaps, although this is doubtful, perhaps their editorial staff would say, geez, we, you know, we're, we're a little tight around the edges here with various different groups within our business, and we're going to have to really focus on what constitutes news and journalism. That would be great. But my guess is that won't happen. I do think it's hilarious that, you know, the the paper that was not solely, but certainly out in the lead of responsibility for trying to scare everyone 
with the COVID pandemic and convince everyone that there were just going to be bodies stacked in the streets is now suffering from the very narrative that they decided to sell, right? And it's going to be hard for them to take the position that this shouldn't be allowed, right? I mean, I, I, 1,297 of those employees could give a crap about any form of virus floating around the office. I guarantee you, you will find them out in their local grocery stores and movie theaters and Jets games, et cetera, happily maskless, enjoying life. They're just using the stick that the New York Times has given them to turn around and beat the New York Times with because they just don't want to go back in the office. And I get that. Yeah, I don't blame them. And, yeah, you know, it's interesting. The more and more you peel back the onion on what was COVID. And obviously, there are a lot of things to be concerned about. It did it did kill a lot of people. But when you start looking at how political a lot of this has become um, and, and was and it was never told to us. So, for example, there was a report this week that some of the um, uh, political leaders pressured the FDA to take a step back on the vaccines to get past the last election and then really start advancing the vaccines right after the election, which is just mind boggling. But there are FOIA requests out there that show that that, that was a consideration uh, given to when the uh, vaccines were gonna be launched. And so um, just crazy, crazy stuff. And the more and more you see about this, you know, the more and more you, um, uh, you, you realize how political the response to this whole COVID thing became, whether it be the vaccines or whether it be you know, shutting down the schools or whether it be shutting down any type of dissent about the efficacy of the vaccines or how we should be handling COVID even before the vaccines came into play. I mean, it was so political and it was so big brother-ish that it makes, um, you know, it, 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 it makes Orwell's 1984 sort of pale in comparison. And God knows what's going to happen next, but we've created this uh, government now that is this big brother type government that is uh, completely and solely consumed with this you know, accumulation of more and more power over people and manipulating what people think and what people can digest as news. And Brad, that's why we're here talking about this. Exactly, buddy. I mean, I, again, there is no greater or more effective, instantly effective antidote to what is going on now than simply presenting the truth. And you're right. COVID contributed, at least contributed, to a large number of deaths. We, we will probably never know how many deaths you could put your finger on and say, okay, that was entirely due to COVID, right? This person was otherwise healthy, got COVID, died, right? I, I honestly don't think it's anywhere near over 50%. It's probably not over 10% of the total number of deaths that were reported as being COVID, right? But that is not what the leadership wants us to believe because it is one of the levers they can pull to make people dance. And that is what they are trying to do. I think that's well said. And Brad, for all those people who stayed in uh, and shuttered during COVID, for all those people at the New York Times who don't want to go back to work, we have some good news from the folks at Disney. Of course, Disney, um, the uh, sort of home base when it comes to entertainment. You are a Disney Plus family, I know, and you enjoy going to the parks. You love it. Um, Disney has now come out, Brad, and they have said um, that they are joining the metaverse and they are constructing theme parks in the metaverse that will uh, look identical to the theme parks they have on planet Earth and um, 
create a new line of revenue for Disney and the ability of a lot of these people who don't like to leave their home uh, to just put on a headset and uh, and head down to the happiest place on earth without ever leaving their living room. So this creates a whole new revenue stream for Disney and an opportunity for a lot of people, some of whom are listening to this show right now, to go to the happiest place on earth and experience things, interact with the characters, interact with the rides, potentially get a corn dog that they could look at. Um, so uh, it looks like this metaverse thing is here to stay. But you can say a lot about Disney, and I frequently have. It is it is what it is, right? I mean, if you go there, you're going to get most likely what you went there for. And one of those things is for sure empty pockets. And you got to tip your cap to the folks at Disney, right? Because now they can take as much money as they ever have been. I'm sure they will charge admission to these meta versions of their amusement parks and they don't have to give you anything back. They don't even have to give you the ride, right? They just have to have some cartoonist paint it in the metaverse. And then you can sit in your living room, you know, hopefully they will make you do, jump through all the hoops, get the full experience, right? Get, you know, take everything out of your bag, take your kids out of the strollers. Long lines. Go through a, go through a magnetometer, <laughs> get hassled about the bottle of water that you're trying to bring in. I mean, hopefully they'll do all of that in the metaverse yep. so you get the full experience. And then charge you the same rate. I mean, I, again, say what you will about Disney, but you have to tip your cap to their incredible capacity to just squeeze money out of people any way they can. <laughs> well, they basically said in their press release that 90% of the human population can't afford to go to these parks. And so they're going to basically bring the parks to them and charge admission for someone to go into a virtual world who, by the way, let's be candid here. Okay. Cause that's what we do. We're candid. Most mm -hmm. of the people with these headsets that are venturing into Disney world and probably Brad, probably they're going to be a lot of them that just don't come back out, right? They just don't come back out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, shouldn't be allowed to buy the headset, right? They shouldn't be allowed to buy the headset. They shouldn't be encouraged to stay in their home. Someone should turn the power off to the house, get them off the grid, get them out, maybe a hike, maybe around a golf, maybe some cornhole in the backyard. Mm -hmm. um, but they certainly shouldn't be virtually visiting Disney with the last you know, couple hundred bucks in their pocket going into the Disney coffers while these people don't even get the corn dog or the Mickey Mouse pretzel, which by the way is delicious. Um, uh, all they get are the memories of putting the headset on and then taking it off. Yeah, which is all they want, right? I mean, they're sitting in their house with an N95 mask on and a VR headset mm -hmm. and imagining themselves to, you know, just be living the dream. And, and, and buddy, I guess that the only counterpoint I might make is I, if those people are in your family, if you are listening to this show and those people in your family, do what David said. Go to the house, take a giant pair of bolt cutters, wear rubber gloves to protect yourself, cut the power to the house. Don't just turn it off, cut it. Go in the house, take their VR goggles, stomp on them, <laughs> take off their mask, burn it, drag them into a national park and make them look around. Okay, that is what you should do. But if they're not in your family, I would almost encourage you to just leave them alone, right? Because that leaves more room in the actual national park, not the meta park, but the actual national park for the rest of us, mm -hmm. right? Who have come to realize, hey, if there's anything that COVID hopefully taught, it's that life as it has been led in this country for a couple hundred years is a pretty wonderful thing. 
But if you don't want that, if you want to stay in your house, your VR goggles on and wear your mask, do whatever you want to do and just stay there so that there's more room in the parks for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I, um, uh, a lot of people have virtual pets now too, which is, which is interesting. You don't have to clean up after them because they don't exist, but uh, it's nice. Next, Brad, you and I are going to have to take off the headsets for a little bit and confront what we refused to confront last week because you and I were too upset about it. But of course, the queen, Queen Elizabeth uh, the 15th is dead. The queen is no more. Um, she has, has passed on. She's now with Prince Philip and, uh, now, Brad, we've got King Charles uh, of um, of England. He is the king of all of the realm, the royalty of the realm. The Duchess of Cornhole is no longer going by that title. She is now the Queen of Cornhole. And uh, um, very uh, interesting things happening. I mean, I, I believe certainly in my lifetime, I, I've only been ruled by one monarch, and that's this Queen Elizabeth. You, I, I think you were around in the days of King George, who was King George the uh, sixth. Yeah. Who was her husband yes. or, or father or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, listen, uh, these are, these are tough times. And obviously you and I have been going through a transition here, not the traditional transition where you transition from man to woman or woman to man or binary to non-binary or non-binary, but uh, more about the, the, who is going to be governing our lives now that the queen is gone. And I guess the answer is King Charles the third. Well, perhaps, buddy. I mean, there was a period of my life, first four or five years when I swore fealty to the Shah <laughs> and then he was deposed as we all know, and things, you know, took a turn for the worse there in the Republic of Iran. And and so then I had to then, you know, shift over to the good queen. I've enjoyed that it was a good hot run. I, I believe she's been the queen over 13 different presidents, each of them spiraling down worse and worse as she sat on her throne and shook her <laughs> crowned head. Um, but yeah, I mean, buddy, I, I, I'm looking around. I think Sweden has a king. I might be able to go there. I think maybe Norway has a king. Scandinavia is into the king thing. I, I might be able to go there. But I guess we're just going to have to see how things go there in Buckingham before I, I make my decision. It's interesting, though, because now for those of you who are keeping score at home, this is a big game changer, right? It is a game changer. A lot of stuff going on. So, for example, Prince Charles was the Prince of Wales, and he is now the king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Right. Mm. So you have to you have to make that adjustment on your score scorecard. Uh, mm. Camilla was the Duchess of Cornhole and she is now the Queen Courts Consort of Cornhole. Mm -hmm. That that definitely changes the game of Cornhole. Prince William was was the Duke of Cambridge and he is now the Prince of Wales and of Cornwall. And then well, I'm also glad Cornwall has a prince. Those poor bastards have been left out for years. Yeah, it's I mean, it's amazing. Uh <laughs> Prince Edward was the Earl of Wessex, Wessex, and he may become, although this has not been decided, the Duke of Edinburgh. But again, I mean, Who's this is Prince a, Edward. He's, I think he's the other son. Isn't he another son? Of who? Not, of no Queen idea. Elizabeth? I, I don't know. I don't know who he is. I don't know All who right. he is. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm going to admit it. But uh, listen, this is a big period of transition. And one of the things that happens is obviously this this queen was a lover of wildlife, right? And she had those, those regal ponies. I think she had like a few thousand ponies. Mm -hmm. um, but again, who doesn't? Uh, she had those, those, those 
those dogs, those golden doodles that she was running around. But one of the big problems is that the royal beekeeper, the royal beekeeper, oh. um, who I believe is also the Earl of Wessex. Um, and is, the beekeeper of Cornwell. Perhaps. He's the keeper of the cornhole, my friend. Uh, has had to inform. There, there is a tradition when the monarch dies uh, that the royal beekeeper has to inform the queen's, the queen's bees that the queen has died and that there is a new master in town. And I, this is hard for a lot of people to, to realize because a lot of people don't fully understand the nature of uh, uh, how a modern monarchy works, but they literally have to explain to the bees this whole, you know, scenario. I mean, the bees have to be in the loop and then Prince Charles is in charge and he gets all the honey. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you were going to tell any insect, and listen, I, I think all of the insects under the crown should have the opportunity to be advised that the monarch has passed and that we've you know, successfully transitioned the authority and just the you know, general regalness uh, that is monarchy to some other human, right? because insects care about that, they're focused on it, it, it matters to them but especially the bees, right? Because bees know queens, right? I mean, you know, you have the queen bee and the queen bee is important to the rest of the bees. In fact, my understanding is that she's vital to the rest of the bees existence. And so I could see where, you know, if you were going to decide, you were gonna put insects in a hierarchy, for instance, say, you know, where should the spiders be? I guess they're really not insects. So they're arachnids, that's different. I'm sure the queen has someone else for them, but you know. Those are mammals. Yeah, let's say like roly polies or, you know, house flies or maybe a millipede. I'm, I'm not sure if those are insects or not, but you were going to rack them and stack them, right? And say, now, what order are we going to go mm-hmm. to make sure that the insects are properly informed? You got to start with the bees. You have to start with the bees because they're used to having a queen and it does matter to them uh, the status of the queen. And so I, for one, I, I was, I sat bolt upright last night asking myself, has anyone told the bees? And you have now removed that concern of mine because of yeah. the, the royal beekeeper has done that. Yeah. And a lot of them were upset. Some of them were in fact suicidal, but uh, the good news is they now know that uh, Prince Charles is, uh, is, is King Charles is now in charge of the royal bees. I'm sure he won't set foot near them because he's deathly afraid of bees. But uh, hey, did you see the new uh, press secretary of the White House? Have you been following her chicane? No, 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 no. None of it. I can, well, I can't do it, buddy. I, I, I just can't do it. I mean, that, that job used to have a certain degree of importance. I mean, you were effectively the voice of the administration, you know, the messaging that the administration wanted to get out came through you. And, you know, you were seen as, you know, a sort of the pinnacle of a journalistic career, right? To be selected out of that career and be told, hey, we're going to rely upon you to manage not only our messaging, but but the media itself, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all that used to be a big deal. Now it, it is, it's just lunacy. And they put hacks in that job and that continues to be the case and i it just it, put, it drives me nuts i can't do it well i they just an aside i mean they, this week she was <clears throat> asked a question you know there is a there is a very very difficult winter coming up for the europeans where a lot of the energy that was pipelined in um from uh the soviet union is no longer coming in and so she was asked about the nord stream pipeline 
um, which supplies natural gas to parts of Europe, particularly Germany, from the uh, from Russia. And she proceeded to call it the Nordstrom pipeline <laughs> over and over again. And so I, th- yeah. I thought I, I thought that was you get uh, designer socks right through the Nordstrom pipeline. You don't even have to go to the store for that. Yeah. So that I mean, that, you know, bargain, maybe Nordstrom rack. You could get mm-hmm. some some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this is this is just amateur hour over at the uh, over at the White House. And I thought that was uh, apropos. And it's happening every day now, which is just just great. But you know what? It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. Um, next, Brad, we've got the story of uh, Gina Adams. Gina Adams is a uh, obviously born in Connecticut. She mm-hmm. is a um, uh, she is a uh, sort of a, a, a leader in, in, in this whole woke movement. And one of the things she did is she did a lot of um, artwork concerning indigenous people right in particular indigenous people to north america and um she you know claimed that she is uh part of this group and she's done some great uh uh great work great uh drawings and um uh you know i i guess not really cave cave art but but this this type of indigenous artwork that is uh gorgeous and <clears throat> helps reflect the culture of some of the indigenous people that were here when uh, the Europeans came and destroyed their world. And mm-hmm. uh, so this woman is uh, you know, prolific in that. And uh, she's actually had a great career as an educator. And um, uh, she actually became a college dean, a college dean um, at a, uh, uh, the University of Vancouver in uh, Vancouver, Canada. So she's the dean over in Vancouver, Canada, great indigenous artist, uh, member of the White Earth Reservation. Uh, well, not really a member. She had applied for membership in the White Earth Reservation. Her membership was declined, um, but uh, she's a dean who you know, has a heavy Native American background. That's what she used to become, her, uh, become the dean of this college. That's what she used to sell these, this artwork. I guess she had like um, dozens of, quilts and different drawings that were worth 35 grand or sold for 35 grand a piece. And um, it, it now turns out, Brad, surprise, surprise, all of this was a lie. And we've caught someone else pretending to be a Native American. It seems like this Gina Adams was actually born in Connecticut, um, raised near Greenwich, Connecticut, the stomping grounds of one Marshall Phelps, who actually lives in an old, an old portion of the Kennedy compound over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They never claimed to be a Native American, but this no. woman has. Mm-hmm. So she is now losing her job as Dean of Vancouver College in Vancouver, Canada, the University of Vancouver. And, um, and uh, she is having to, um, having to sort of step back from her sales of all of these uh, um, quilts. Yeah. Well, I mean, where she made her mistake was she applied to the wrong reservation, right? Had she applied to the Elizabeth Warren reservation, she would have been allowed in immediately and been a hallowed member of that tribe. But, but I, I, I mean, again, what, what kind of cynicism do you have to have to not only leverage a lie to become successful, but at the same time, mock people who won't also leverage that lie? Right. I mean, it's one thing to claim to be something you're not, 
But then to sit on this high and mighty throne of morality and look down your nose at other hey people and, and say, you know, I, well, you're, you know, you're wrong because you're white. You, you stole because you're white. Hey, sister, you're white. You're probably whiter than I am. And yet you have no moral compunction with claiming to be something you're not and then using that to leverage your own success while at the same time, you know, just looking down your nose at everybody else. I mean, not enough bad things can happen to people like that. Well, this woman would get up and she's given multiple lectures all over the place. She gave one at Dartmouth College in 2018. Well, of course, of course. She, she got up and she talked about her great grandfather, who she said was a, um, I guess, a leader of this white earth reservation in Minnesota, and she claimed to continue to have dreams of this man where she would have these dreams of dramatic um, Native American massacres taking place. So she said her grandfather was the leader of the White Earth Reservation and would speak to her in Ojibwe, which is the language of the White Earth, of course, Ojibwe. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and then she would go to these um, lectures and just lecture people on um, her grandfather and on her culture. And she would tell people about her, how she was oppressed and how her grandfather had this troubled past as this leader. And she would warn people about robbing people's identities and stealing indigenous culture to use it for their own. When she was doing the same thing to Hawkins yeah. quilts. Yeah. And then, and then the, the best part is it turns out her grandfather was, in fact, a, na a man named Albert Thoreau Thuriault, a, a white man born in Massachusetts to French Canadian parents. So this is a French Canadian, right? Yeah. May as well be in Ottawa and uh, a French Canadian, it turns out, trying to misappropriate the misappropriate the uh, culture of the white earth reservation and speaking in Ojibwe, which is obviously inappropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it turns out he was actually a, you know, mildly successful stockbroker at Morgan Stanley in the 1950s. Right. right? I mean, stop it. I, 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 <laughs> But it just, it, but people fall for this because they want to, right? As as opposed to standing up and going, well, I, I don't know whether you're a Native American or not, but shut up, right? Like I, I have not myself stolen anything from anybody, and you, uh, on the one hand, are trying to sell me a quilt that purports to be Native American and part of the Native American culture while at the same time telling me if I buy the quilt and I hang it in my house, I'm stealing Native American culture, right? So you can't, the, the, there's no, it's not even internal consistency within what this woman is saying. And of course, she turns out to be a liar of the worst stripe, right? But, but we, we allow this sort of thing to happen because we give people like this a microphone. It's ridiculous. It is crazy. And then you know what else? I mean, these are all woke. This is all woke stuff, right, that we're talking about now. And you've got this insidious French Canadian who pretended to be a Native American and got this gig and sold these quilts. Worst of all, I probably have one hanging in the house somewhere here in one of my woke rooms, woke rooms. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have everything else that's going on. And like we have so many things to get to. We don't have enough time. But you have the California Teachers Association paying outside firms to dig up dirt on dirt on parent groups who are trying to organize 
to uh, get the students back into the classroom. So you have this big California union using California teacher dues to do background checks on parents and try to dig up dirt so they can be trashed. You have um, the Disney, and we already talked about Disney, right? Um, creating this great metaverse where people can go and pretend to be in the theme parks with their cartoon avatars. Uh, Disney has now started a new um, program called The Little Demon, which features a mom and her antichrist daughter daughter living a quiet life in Delaware. So that's Disney. And then finally, Brad, the cherry on the proverbial woke Sunday for this week is your man in mind, Joe Biden, right? Great, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's old, who is now planning to gut Title IX. Of course, Title IX is the uh, uh, section of the code that protects women's and girls' sports uh, and provide that it's well-funded and well taken care of and that girls have equal and women have equal opportunity at sports opportunities that men do, uh, who has now uh, promulgated some regulations that would allow for transgender girls, i.e. boys, to play in women's sports and make that a requirement under Title IX, which is just going to gut Title IX and the protection that women have. So you've got all this woke garbage that is just piling up, piling up, piling up. And it seems to me that uh, um, things are not And you promised me as we approach this election, things would get better. And it seems to me things are getting worse. But I, I, again, the, the question that continually pops to my mind is why, right? Why? What is the total number of quote unquote transgender, right? And so if that's where you want to live, go ahead. But why in the world are we changing Title IX to allow for what has to be a one one millionth of a percent of humans and thereby wrecking what is half of humanity's opportunity to participate in sports fairly and equally. And buddy, where in the H-E double hockey sticks are the feminists, right? I mean, where are the folks who in the 70s were burning their bras and picketing everywhere in order to get equality for women? Hey, where are you? Okay, that the, all the hard work you put in for better, or for worse, whether you're proud of it, whether you're not proud, I don't know, I don't care. It's being snatched from you so that some dude can put on a woman's swimsuit and jump in the pool and crush the real women and then get out and have a medal put around his neck. Where are you? Well, they're probably hiding with the same people that, uh, 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 you know, used to stand for free speech and now want to ban speech and have, have a sort of limited flow of information to people so that they can control what they do. And that, and that's what this is all about. I mean, it's just woke. It's crazy. It's insane. They're ruining women's sports and it's a shame. It really is. Finally, Brad barter band. We've got a little bit of time left and this is a segment that everyone has so much fun with. I mean, people love it. Uh, there are Barden band t-shirts coming out, I believe as part of the action, figures. We've got an OJ Simpson barter band doll that'll be coming out. Um, so very, very exciting times this week, Brad. Uh, we often, you and I, as the humanitarians that we are, look at clemency and look at the, uh, you know, sort of how the, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of the benevolent view of letting people out and forgiving people for their sins is used in practice. Well, this week, we have the situation of Mark David Chapman, of course, the man who killed John Lennon is up for parole again. Uh, this is, I think, his 12th or 13th time up for parole. And the question is, 
should parole for Mark David Chapman be barter banned, or should we should we just uh, let him out into the streets and and hope for the best? Well, but I don't. You know, this is one of those occasions, rare occasions in the barter banned segment where I really don't know. Right now, you know, I I don't know what the condition of Mark David Chapman is mentally or physically, whether he has, you know, served his time, paid his debt to society, is now capable of, you know, being let back out among us and, you know, they with a fair probability that he is not is going to harm no one else. I, I don't know that. What I do know is is that no one else is staying in jail. Right. I mean, we've seen twice in one city, I think it's Memphis, where people have been murdered young mothers have been murdered by known violent criminals there is no question that this person is a violent criminal but the folks in charge have seen fit to just wave their hand at that and say well you know we're not going to keep anyone in jail because jail is racist right i mean apparently violent criminal is a race i wasn't aware of that and treating someone like a violent criminal, i.e. incarcerating them, is therefore racist. And so we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to cut everybody loose. And so if that's, the, if that's the standard, right, if you're looking at someone who has on their record multiple violent crimes, and you're looking at them and saying, ah, it would be racist to put you in jail, I don't know why you could, how you could possibly keep Mr. Chapman in jail. I mean, that's that's a good that's a good point. I can tell you a little more color into what's been going on. He has been on a pretty big workout program. He's been lifting five, six hours a day for the past uh, 42 years. Yeah. And so he's stacked. And he if he gets out, there's a good chance like the WWE will sign him and then he can make some money. Maybe that can go to Yoko Ono and the boys I'm for the whole thing. I mean, now knowing that I would I would neither bar nor bad. I would let him out. I would immediately direct him to the WWE where, you know, he can hit someone with a chair or come off the top rope or do whatever. And then maybe we can have a little, you know, a little ceremony where he turns over his winnings. Yeah. I mean, or, or maybe instead of the WWE, he just go out to dinner in one of these, uh, one of these crime laden towns and, and just do it that way. Yeah. Could do it that way. He could join the guy that uh, Hinckley that shot at Reagan and maybe put together a little musical band um, it might be Probably ironic, given that he killed John Lennon. But, you know, we do irony in the U.S. these days. We're happy. We do, and, we, and we do it very well, Brad. We yeah, do it very we do. well. We do. Well, buddy, I, I, you know, I think we've covered a lot of ground this week. We've done our usual good job. We've engaged in some irony. Um, we've lauded the new king. And as the world continues to change and neither you nor I can tell what, what the future holds. And certainly none of the predictions that we would have made 10 years ago would have come true today. But I think, buddy, I think that what I can assure folks is that we will be right back here next week on IP Frequently. God save the king. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.